Welcome to episode 215 of The Word Encounter. Uh, We stopped in chapter 15 of the book of John yesterday, so we're going to pick it up in chapter 16. At the end of chapter 15, you know, Jesus is is telling his disciples things that are about to come. He's telling them about persecutions that are about to come. He's telling them about the counselor that's going to come. And so we pick it up in 16 verse 1, and he says, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. In other words, I'm telling you these things to warn you about what's going to happen so that when they do come, you will know because I told you, I foretold you that they were going to happen and that you won't stumble. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, I find this interesting. He's talking to his disciples, so he's warning them that people are going to be doing things, and they think they're going to be doing it in the service to God. We will see later on that Paul is, in fact, one of those until he had his experience uh, that thinking uh, in thinking that he was doing a service to God by persecuting and killing uh, the followers of Christ. And I find this interesting because uh, many people today, you know, think that they're doing a service to God or the universe or whatever when they come against Christians and Christianity. And so in verse 3, we see they will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. They will do these things out of ignorance, in other words, Jesus is saying. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them, uh, you will remember I told them to you. So that uh, when the time comes and these things happen, you'll re- remember, you'll recall that I did warn you about this. I didn't tell you these things from, be- from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am, a going, I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away... The counselor will not come to you. See? So Jesus is telling them he knows that, that, that they love him and that as he's talking about him going away, I'm still not convinced they're sure with regard to him going away means him dying or they're going to witness him dying on this earth. I'm not sure they're making that connection yet. I think they think he's going somewhere and never going to come back as far as somewhere else on the, in, on the planet is concerned. But nevertheless, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things because it's of your benefit that I go because I'm going to send somebody else who's going to be with you and in you. And if I don't go, he can't come. (laughs) If I go, I will send him to you. Let me back up. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin righteousness and judgment. See, Jesus came to save, not to convict the world. He came to save. He pointed out to the world their shortcomings and whatnot, but he didn't come to convict the world. Jesus is saying, uh, this is, uh, Jesus is saying here, when he comes, he being the counselor, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness and judgment. He will judge the world. Verse 9, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, and so Jesus is saying that the, that the, that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is coming to do this work. 
That's not why I came, but that is why I am sending him. Verse 12, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide us into all truth. That still small voice, when it resides in us, when it comes, that still small voice will guide us into all truth. If we allow him to. See, I'm convinced he will guide you if you allow him to. I'm convinced he lets us know. He gives us discernment. He gives us wisdom. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. This is cool. This is not cool. But whether we listen to it or not, that's a different question. Okay. So it says, the spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, implying he will speak whatever he hears from the father. See, and so that still small voice that we hear when we're about to do something wrong or whatever, that's from the throne room. That's from the throne room to the Holy Spirit in us, to the Spirit telling us. Do we obey? Well, that's on us. And he says he will also declare what is to come. He will give us a spirit of prophecy, if you will, to see into the future what will come. That's incredible. Verse 14. He will glorify me because he will take from he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So anything that is to anything that is Jesus's is ours through the Holy Spirit because he will declare it to us. The Holy Spirit a lot of times doesn't get a lot of mention in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit is critical. And sometimes understanding the Holy Spirit, for me anyway, is somewhat difficult as far as uh, sometimes discerning the difference between uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit and my own voice in my head. You know, is this you, God, or is this me? And sometimes I have difficulty discerning the difference between the two. Verse 16, in a little while you will no longer see me, and in a little while you will see me. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> in a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Well, Jesus is telling them, in a little while, I am going to be taken from you, but I will see you again. A little while, again, a little while after that, I will see you again. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is he telling us? What's he talking about? This in a little while, then in a little while stuff. <laughs> in verse 19, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will not see me again. In a little while, you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So he, he, he said, again, they don't know what he's talking about. But when they're in the midst of things, you have to believe that they recall these things that he told them. You will be sorrowful. The world will be celebrating. When they crucified Jesus, everybody was celebrating uh, except them. They were sorrowful. But then he says, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will then turn to joy. In other words, you're not going to stay in that place. See, 
Verse 21. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has, um, because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So the labor pains are intense. You know, I was with my wife when all three of our children were born and the labor pains are no joke. You know, they're intense. But when that baby was placed into my wife's arms, all that went away. All that was forgotten. Verse 22. So you also, so you also have sorrow now, but I, come on, but you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. See, you'll be sorrowful, but then you will explode with joy and no one will take it from you. It will be with you forevermore. Verse 23, in that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you. So Jesus is saying, like, believe me when I say this. Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. In other words, your asking and your receiving has a purpose. The purpose of your asking and receiving is so that essentially it gets confirmed that the Father in heaven is hearing you and is honoring your request so that your joy may be complete. Jesus the victor in verse 25. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. <laughs> so Jesus is talking to them in parables and riddles and this, that, and the other. And I can imagine because several times the disciples turn to each other. What is he talking about? What is he saying? And so Jesus knows this. He realizes this. He's not, he's not you know, uh, devoid of knowledge with regard to what he's doing. He says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. In other words, I've spoken to you in figures of speech on purpose. He says, but a time is coming when I will no longer do that. I will tell you plainly what's happening. That's in verse 25. In verse 26, he says, on that day you will ask in my name, and I, will not, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What does this mean? On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask my Father on your behalf. He's saying, on that day you will ask in my name, but I won't need to intercede with the Father for you because you'll be able to talk directly to him in my name. See, so he's saying that on that day, that day that I'm taking from you, you will be able to communicate in my name directly to the Father. For the Father himself loves you because you love me and I have believed and have believed that I uh, came from God. And so the Father loves them because the disciples loved Jesus and they believed that Jesus came from God. That's why the Father loves them. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciple says, look, now you're speaking plainly <laughs> and not using any figurative language. Now we know, uh, now we know, now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them. Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the father is with me. 
I have told you these things so that you so that in me you may have peace. So Jesus is telling them that the time is coming when he when they're going to leave him, they're going to be scared. They're all going to go back to their homes. See, and he's going to be left alone, but not really because he's going to be with his father. But he's he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that when you do them and you may feel self-condemnation come on you because you deserted me. No, 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 no. Don't worry. Because he's saying that in me, you may, uh, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. So you can have peace about doing this. So I'm telling you ahead of time so that you, you don't go down into this mental spiral, right? That you have peace in this. And it says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. <clears throat> I believe this is an important scripture to remember as we're going through things in this life. Being a believer doesn't mean that you're not going to have any issues, any trials or tribulations. The Bible never promises that. In fact, it says you will, you will have suffering in this world. But be of good courage. Jesus has conquered the world. Jesus is saying, but be courageous because I have conquered the world. That means that this thing that you're going through is temporal. See, it's not going to be a permanent thing. Even in terminal illnesses. Remember, God sees life differently than we see life. We see life in this life that we know of in this time and this space right here. But God's lifeline is eternity. Of which physical life as we know it is just a small segment. So he's saying, you know, you will have suffering in this world. It's unavoidable. But be of good courage. Because I, Jesus, have conquered the world. And if you're in me and I'm in you, then that means you have conquered this world as well. Chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Glorify your son. (laughs) Essentially, Jesus is saying the hour has come. Father, I'm ready to be crucified. I'm ready for this intense pain that's going to come on my physical body. But in that process, you will be glorified. Mm. Verse 2. Since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given to him. Jesus is talking about himself in the third person. In verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the, uh, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Now, this is very offensive to a lot of people. Verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, this is the controversial part, the only true God, and that you have sent Jesus Christ. People take umbrage to that right there because they say, no, no that, that, that's, very, that's a very narrow view. You know, and so they want to have the, the path to heaven to be multiple, many paths to, uh, paths to heaven, not just this one narrow path. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. There's only one path and there's only one true God. And the only way to get to him is through me. Verse four, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work uh, you gave me to do. Let me back up to verse 3, because this is really bugging me. The only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. There are many people who call themselves Christians, 
who want to embrace all sorts of ways to get to God. You can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe that there's only one true God and the only way to him is through Jesus. That's essential to being a Christian. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a pillar. You can't, if, if you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. There are many other things that are gray, you know, and debatable. We can dis, uh, discuss those things, but this ain't one of them. You know, if you're going to call yourself a Christ-like one, then that means that you believe there's only one true God and the only way to him is through Jesus. That's it. That one is not, not debatable. Jesus said it himself. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence that the glory uh, I had with you. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Before you created this world, Father, you and I had communion and I was in you, you were in me, the Holy Spirit was with us. We were all you know, three in one, we were all great. And so Jesus is saying, you know, now, Father, glorify me with that existence that I had in your presence before the world existed. So Jesus is basically telling people that he is and has been an eternal one. He existed before the world existed. He wasn't just, he just didn't come into existence through Mary. He existed prior to Mary. He was just born in flesh through Mary. Jesus prays for his disciples. Verse 6, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours to give, they were yours, you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. So now Jesus is interceding for the disciples with the Father God. He's saying, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world, Father. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And Father, not only that, but they have kept your word. He's advocating for the ones he loves on earth. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Because I have given them the words you gave me, they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. This is Jesus now praying for the disciples. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. I pray for them. Jesus said, I'm praying for my boys, Father. I'm not praying for everybody. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now, now, now this starts to get really important, so pay attention here. It says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, uh, Father. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me. He's giving them the name Jesus. So Jesus is saying, protect them by my name, Father, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is pleading for unity of his people. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them uh, by your name that you have given me. 
I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, talking about Judas, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may uh, have so that they may have my joy completed in them. See, now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world. Why? So that they may have joy, that their joy may be completed. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So now we're in verse 15. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is saying, I'm not praying that you remove them from the world, that you remove them from the issues of the world, that you uh, allow them to escape from the things of this world. Uh, that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to escape. Jesus is not praying that you escape. He said, no, 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 no. They are to stay in the world. Well, I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one, but they are to stay here. Now, here's another thing. Jesus is saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. <laughs> I'm not praying that you allow them to avoid non-believers. See, a lot of Christians don't have any associations with people that are not believers. Well, if you don't have any association with people who don't believe, how are you going to change the world? How are you going to expand the kingdom? How are you going to influence them for God? See, the only friends and the only associates they have are other believers. You can't be effective in the mission of God if that's the case. See? Now, you have to be careful. You know, you have to know thyself. You have to know whether or not you're susceptible to being influenced by others if you go into their company. You know, so you need to make sure that you're fortified, that you're prayed up, that you're strong in your belief so that the influence arrow is pointing out of you into them instead of the other way around. See, and you've got to be honest with yourself about that. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, I want to get out amongst the people because I have to influence them when, in fact, they're just using that as an excuse to go carouse and have fun and this, that, and the other, and they ain't influencing nobody. But his prayer is that you stay in the world, but that you be protected from the evil one and his influences. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Jesus prays for all believers. This is, here we go. This is awesome. I pray not only for these. In other words, I pray not only for my disciples here, my boys that are amongst me. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus is saying, I not only pray for my disciples, but I'm also praying for those that they preach the gospel to and those that accept me through their word. I'm praying for those as well, not only at that time, but into the future. That means us. <laughs> Jesus is praying for us. I pray not only for these, for my disciples, for my apostles here, but also for those who believe in me through their word. We're reading the Bible, the gospels here. This is their word. In written form. If we believe in Jesus through his gospel, then we are in fact believing in Jesus through the apostles' word. So Jesus says that I'm praying for those as well. Verse 21, may they all be one. This is a consistent theme, we'll see. May they all be one, as you, 
Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. See, so as one, if we appear as one to the world, then the world will believe that we are of Jesus. See, when we are, when we are separated, when we are in dispute amongst each other, when we are uh, fighting one another, that gives the opposite witness that Jesus is looking for so that the world may believe. In verse 22, he says, I have, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Again, we see it again. The unity thing. Jesus is pleading and praying for the unity of the body so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. <laughs> we see it again. Jesus wants us to be completely one, unified before the world. So when the world inspects the body of Christ, what they find is unity. Why? So that they may believe that we are, in fact, sent by God. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made uh, completely one, that the world may know uh, you have sent me. How we behave and react towards each other is a reflection on the reputation of Jesus. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That the world may know you have sent me. If we're made completely one, then the world may know that Jesus was actually sent by God. If we aren't completely one, then the world is going to call into question Jesus' reputation as one who was sent by God. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. What we find here is that this unity of the body of believers is critical to the mission that Christ has given his church. Critical. Unity doesn't mean sameness. Unity doesn't mean that everybody looks and, and acts and behaves the same. No, unity in purpose. See? Unity and love. When I say love, I don't mean, you know, the emotional love that most of us think about. You know, love of our fellow believer. Love meaning that we want nothing but the best for them and they want nothing but the best for us. That we are unified in our mission and purpose, even though that expression, the expression of their our relationship and belief may be different than ours. The mission and purpose remains the same. And so we're unified. We got a long way to go as far as that's concerned. But in order to accomplish that, 
we need to have those that God has chosen to acknowledge who Jesus is. And that is done through his invitation. And he says that if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord, then you will not be put to shame and you will be saved. And then as you join the body of believers, you can help us, you can assist us achieve this oneness because you understand and you know how critical it is to the mission of Christ. With that, we are done for today. We will pick this up tomorrow. Uh, should God's mercy and grace descend upon us. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.